Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. Hey, this is Richard Gunther, one of the new hosts of Mike Wolf's Smart Home Show podcast. Adam and I are starting off with some discussion about the Google Home ecosystem. This discussion was a bit fortuitous because just a week or so after we recorded, Google made a bunch of announcements about Google Home and the now-branded Google Nest product line. Future Me does pop in on this discussion to clarify the new branding changes and talk about one of the newly announced products. Anyway, we're going to be mixing things up a bit, trying some new segments, and getting you listeners a little more involved. Overall, we want to be good stewards of the show and brand that Mike created. So with that, we hope you enjoy the new show. Hey everyone, it's Adam Justice. Welcome to the first episode in a new chapter of the Smart Home Show, where I'm taking the reins from Mike Wolf, joined by my co-host Richard Gunther from the Digital Media Zone. And before we go into the Smart Home Talk, I have a quick question for Richard to open the show. So, Richard, tell us a little bit about what your favorite piece of non-Smart Home related technology is. Wow, this is like the icebreaker question. All right, I have to... Giving this a little bit of thought, I, I think we might have some people who are in the professional space that might argue that this is not necessarily non-Smart Home, but I'm going to claim that it is. My favorite tech in my house right now that isn't smart home tech is my Dolby Atmos sound system. I am just so into the 360 enveloped sound field. And I installed that about a year ago, adding different speaker configurations over the years. And I, I now have a 9-2 system where I have seven speakers in the room and I put two ceiling speakers crawling around in my attic and then I have a subwoofer and it's just friggin' awesome. I am insanely jealous in my <laughs> long-term goals, long-term goals. So we have an unfinished basement in our house today and it has, it's a deep basement. So it has really, I don't know, like 10 or 11 foot ceilings. And I have a perfect spot in said basement to build a theater and that will be when I finally get my Dolby Atmos. But I, I maintain that I will not do it until I can do it right. And that's going to come with a price tag. So that might take a little while. <laughs> Understood. Yeah, this stuff is not cheap. You're buying more speakers. You obviously want them to be good speakers. The receivers that give you the most flexibility are going to cost more too. Like You don't necessarily want to buy one that has just the amount of speakers you can support today because... Who knows? What if you want to add to your sound field in the future? Yes. More speakers are better. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you for that, Richard. If you would like to submit a question to help us open the show, you can send us a question with the hashtag AskAdamAndRichard, and then your question can appear on the show as well. 
So feel free to post those and uh, you might find your question answered in the future. And that's just what? That's just kind of anywhere out on Twitter? Yeah. And we'll and just it, look for that hashtag. Yeah. Anywhere on Twitter. And uh, we have a working on a little system to pull those in. Sounds good. All right. So for our first topic today, we wanted to talk a little bit about the Google Home Hub. So Google Home Hub has been out a little while now. It was released in October of 2018. And I got one when it was released immediately. My general feel on this kind of stuff is, you know, being in the industry, I try to live it. And this seemed new and novel. I had an original Google Home, but wanted to test it out and things like that. And I didn't immediately, but uh, it's been in, in rotation time in our house. And Richard, I believe you got one as a giveaway at CES as well, right? I did. Google was giving these out if you went through their Google experience, which was essentially a dark ride that they built on the parking lot at CES. So you went all the way through and then you came out of it and they gave you a, or they sent you by email, a promo code that uh, you could use to essentially get one of these for free. It was a great surprise. And really my first serious look at a Google home product. So what are your thoughts so far? I guess the first way to discuss this is to tell you how I'm using it. My use case for this is that this replaced my alarm clock. So it's a nightstand device for me. And it is so much better than my old alarm clock. And I had one of those crazy Sony dream machine color screen things, hook up your iPod. And I mean, it was really nice for its time. But this kind of takes all of that functionality and adds the ability to pretty much ask it any question that you need to. So as a solution for an alarm clock, I think it's amazing. They've even thought about stuff like, okay, well, as the room gets dimmer, what do you want it to display? Do you want it to be just a clock? Do you want it to be pictures? Do you want it to dim with the room? How do you want it to dim with the room? We can make it dim with the room so that it looks exactly like it's a picture frame without any light behind it. How they do that, I don't know. It's magical. I mean, this thing looks like a static frame sitting on my nightstand. There never appears to be like a crazy amount of light coming out of it. And it's just phenomenal. So it's it's great in that respect, too. I love that you can just say, hey, play some music for 30 minutes just to go to sleep by or wake me up in an hour if you want to take a nap or what, you know, it just, they really thought through all the stuff plus every other question that you can ask a Google home. The, the only other thing that I would say about it, and this is really the only negative that I have on this device in particular is that it doesn't really do a good job recognizing my morning voice, which I guess is a little bit more crackly and scratchy than my <laughs> regular voice. Because if I just don't feel like turning over to look at the clock and say, what time is it? It doesn't recognize me. Interesting. And then I have to actually turn over and look at my clock. I'm telling you, the inconvenience. That's pretty interesting to use it on your nightstand. I'm also a smart speaker alarm clock person, but I have the Echo Spot. And that's my nightstand uh, device. So similar, similar type experiences. It sounds like maybe the Google Home Hub actually does alarm clock nightstand stuff better than that device. Because some of the things 
you mentioned, like, uh, you know, basically looking like a picture frame, that device doesn't do very well. And it, it is hard to see the spot at night, like when it's very dim. And it has a much, much smaller screen, too. Yes, yes. Interesting use case. So do you use any of the actual like touch control UI for smart home devices on it? Occasionally, not that often. Like sometimes if I know that I've forgotten to turn something off in the house, then I'll go through and try and do that. But one of the things that makes it a little bit more difficult for me is that I control nearly everything in my house through scenes. And I haven't gone through the process of creating routines in Google Home that would trigger those correct scenes for me in my other hubs. So that's something that I still need to do over time, I think, to make that smart home UI a little bit more useful. But as far as a general smart home dashboard, I think they've done, I don't know, probably as good a job as anyone has at that. I still don't feel like anyone has it exactly right. Apple gets pretty close, but I like it. It's just not something I'm using every day. Yeah, I think the interesting thing about that particular UI, so if you're not familiar with this on a, a Google Home Hub, you basically do like a swipe down on it, and then it'll show you a couple different icons. And one of the things I noticed was initially I only had lighting stuff hooked up to it. And so it only gave me options around lighting. And I was like, I was a little curious. And then I realized, oh, it's because I don't have any cameras or thermostats or anything else hooked up to it. And then those icons appeared once I integrated with all those devices too. So it's all pretty basic stuff. I think definitely in your use case, you know, I think having those touch controls for when a significant other is sleeping or you don't want to disturb somebody is certainly a nice option. And something I would use, but otherwise mine is actually in the, in the kitchen. So I don't really use that touch control a whole lot because most of the time voice is just a simpler way to get it done. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of people have said to me that they feel like this is a little bit too small for the kitchen use case. What's your thought on that? Yeah. So I actually have all my screen speakers are in my kitchen. We have one of everything in our kitchen and, uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm lucky to still be married. My wife puts up with it. But yeah, we have both the home hub and the home pod are on our kitchen island. And then uh, we have my freebie from CES, which was uh, through a partnership with Amazon. They provided a lot of the smart home vendors with devices to use in their booth. And we're nice enough to say just keep the devices when the, when the show was over. So I came home from CES with an Alexa. Joe V2, which is not something I would have bought myself, but I actually really like. And from the screen size comparison, I do think it's a way better device for the kitchen with with that bigger screen and a, a better speaker and things like that. So hmm, interesting. Yeah. So I've been really happy with that device and that. I, I'm going to probably not talk about this in every episode. Who knows? I might. But Notice that you ended up calling it by the A word and you didn't call it an echo. And I, I would argue that that just kind of reinforces how even you, someone who works in this space and is intimately familiar with these products, and you took the time to write it down, has confusion about what these damn things are called. I know. I it's know. ridiculous. 
I know it's not the best branding, which we're going to talk about that in a second when we get into further about Google Assistant stuff. But I do agree. I think I think the size is probably the biggest weakness of of the Home Hub. Um, I, I think it's really well. You know, it looks like a really high quality product. It sounds pretty good and things like that. And the interesting part is there was a rumor recently that, or actually it was a full-on leak, that they are making a new, it was called the Nest Hub Max. Well, and funny you should say that because three weeks later, we now know after Google I.O. that that happened, that we can confirm that, that the Google Nest Hub Max, and wow, that is a mouthful, that is a real device, and it looks pretty cool. I mean, there are a lot of good specs on this thing. Yeah, I got to get one of these ordered. Looks like a looks like a pretty nice device. So some of the features they added here are things like a built-in Nest Cam, which I like the fact that they're not just throwing a camera on there and for video calling and things like that, but actually putting in all the features that a Nest Camera has. Yeah. Now, is it going to be at the right angle to be able to use it as a Nest Cam? I don't know enough about that, but presumably they're going to take that into consideration. Yeah, absolutely. Other things. So they added this gesture recognition. Do you know anything about that or what that's for? I think that's actually really cool. So let's say that you're in the kitchen and someone walks in and starts talking to you and you're listening to something or you're watching something and you need to pause it. You can just raise your hand and if you're in sight of the camera, it will pause whatever is playing on the device at the time. Yeah, that's super cool. And I mean, we've talked a lot about how these devices are used a lot in the kitchen. I know that's where my Nest Hub is today. I guess see, I'm already calling it a Nest Hub. It's a Google Hub today. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you got chicken on your hands or something like that. You don't want to touch the screen. So being able to use gestures instead of that uh, is certainly a nice feature. Exactly, exactly. And of course, it has the bigger display. And that that camera is also going to be usable for things like recognizing who's walking by. So if it's in a resting state, and you walk by versus your wife, it could show you different like status updates based on who it recognizes. And frankly, I think that's been one of these big missing capabilities in these devices is good handling of multiple people living in a dwelling. Right. And I mean, I know Google was one of the first to do the multi-person recognition, but even with that, it doesn't seem like they've been able to do a ton of different features. So this would be taking it one more step and allow them to customize what's on the screen just by noticing you and, and doing that face detection. Yeah. Now you mentioned the Nest hub and it's funny that they've actually renamed all of their Google Home products that were not part of the like that are not the say little discs themselves. I believe they're all being, you know, like the the speakers themselves. I believe they're all being called now the Google Nest something. Like everybody has Everything has changed from just being a Google Home something to now being a Google Nest something. Yeah. What do you think about that That kind of new branding and kind of bringing the two together? I think Nest is 
a brand that people trust and a brand that people know. So they're probably trying to leverage that and get what they can out of that $3.2 billion investment. But I, I do think it's going to be a little bit confusing, at least at first, particularly if they really expect people to call things Google Nest something. Yeah, it's certainly a mouthful. And I just looked on their page here. Both the hubs are called Google Nest, but the Home Max, the Home, and the Home Mini are still listed as Google Home Mini. So maybe the branding on those are changing once they refresh the devices, but at least for now, those have stayed stable. It is a little confusing. Hopefully they get this right, because Google is usually pretty good at branding. They're not as bad as Microsoft at this stuff. So I hope that they figure this out in a way that makes sense to people. And we don't just feel like we're doing like tongue twisters every time we're talking about some new device. Exactly. Okay. Now let's take a quick break to hear a word from one of our sponsors. All right. So we have a second discussion topic that we want to dive into, and that is also Google related. We just talked about devices. Now we're going to talk about the assistant within. So where are we now, or perhaps more accurately, where is Google now with the Google assistant in the smart home space, or just as a digital assistant in comparison to others that are available. And of course, Amazon is in the lead there. They were really the first player. Siri is arguably a competitor in that space as well. Microsoft and Samsung are both trying to be in that space, but haven't really made inroads and have, at least on Microsoft's side, have, have backed out a little bit. But it feels like Google has invested significantly in the last few years to catch up as quickly as possible to the lead that Amazon had, because Amazon really plowed this road. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, they've made a ton of headway in this space. And, you know, Google, as of a couple of years ago, I think we might have even talked about this on the last show. They had like competing standards. There was Nest Weave and Google Weave. And Weave was kind of more like HomeKit. And, you know, that's what they were going to do. And then, you know, I think they sort of saw the momentum that Amazon had with their kind of infrastructure and setup and basically copy and pasted that model with putting kind of their own spin on it and, and you know, hit the gas pedal. And I think where we've seen that heavily the most, especially in terms of presence and that investment has been CES 2018 and 2019. I mean, 2018, I think everybody just didn't expect it. And Google had this big booth and they were giving away prizes and they were sponsoring all kinds of people's booths. They had these people dressed up in jumpsuits all over the place. It, it kind of came out of nowhere. And, you know, I think their goal there was to let everybody know we're serious about smart home and we're making investments to let you know that. Yeah. And I think that they've made significant inroads there, but they're still catching up. I mean, and that's one of the things that's frustrating to me. Like, I feel as if they're offering the better technology. And if you just look at what these companies do and what their motivations are, you can understand that, right? That the 
the the work behind Google's Assistant and its ability to understand you and provide you with information as quickly as possible. That's what Google does. That that is how they've made all of their inroads as an advertising business, if you will. But search is really what they do best. And so when you give a Google Assistant a command, in my experience, you usually get a more satisfying result than you might from asking Amazon's Assistant. But not all the vendors are there yet. And that's partly on Google, but probably mostly on the vendor side that they're looking at it at it as the second choice. And if you only have, you know, a certain amount of money to spend on integration, you're going to put it on the leader. Right. Yeah. I mean, so as far as our, from our business perspective, we felt like we needed to integrate with all three of the major players, but we have numbers on, you know, who's using what. And Google is actually in, I don't think they're in third place in the market, but in terms of our use, and maybe that's just kind of from our roots in HomeKit and things like that. But our our stats generally go Amazon, HomeKit, then Google kind of coming up in the rear. But I think one of the other ways I measure this in terms of like the, the total number of people that are working with us is just like the stuff in my home, what works with it and what doesn't. And I actually think it's gotten way better than it used to be. I think when I first got that home hub, you know, the the big guys were in there like Hugh and I think Lutron was there when I first got that. But there was a bunch of stuff that was, you know, totally absent. So that was kind of a non-starter for me. Now a lot of the other stuff I have in the house is has caught up. There's still a few big ones for me that would be showstoppers from going all in on Google Assistant. So spoilers. Yeah, spoilers. The the big one was Ring. So I've I've pretty heavily invested in in Ring stuff. I have a doorbell, a motion light in the backyard. I also just got their alarm system. None of that integrates with Google Assistant. And that one to me feels like the biggest loss, particularly with that display. When I have that display on my bedside, the ability to answer the door from there would be huge. And not having that there is just really, really frustrating. And arguably, they might get there sometime. I mean, there's this rivalry growing on with these companies, of course. But, I mean, we all know, well, at least in the industry, we know that they brought on, Ring brought on the team from Zonoff and their leader, Mike Harris, specifically to address best-in-class integration, because that's what Zonoff does really, really well. I'll post this in the show notes, but TechHive did an interview with Jamie at CES this year where he kind of recommitted that they're going to continue to do integrations. And and he specifically called out Google Assistant as one that he said he was open to doing. So I feel like we've heard that before. They've said they were going to do HomeKit too. There's even a fun Twitter account that says... Does Ring work with HomeKit yet? And I believe Ring <laughs> Ring officially blocked them because they were getting annoying. Um, <laughs> but if you want to go there, that's that's a good place to find out. <laughs> so obviously, the sale to Amazon kind of casts some doubts for those kinds of things. But I still think players that are part of these big companies, and I would include Nest in this too, 
should be good citizens and integrate with the other ecosystems. I think that like that's one of the reasons I don't run Nest thermostats in my house anymore is because I wanted something that worked with HomeKit and worked worked with Amazon and worked with you know I want I want something that's going to be cross platform and so there there have to be other people like me that want not just one ecosystem and I feel like they're they've got to be limiting their business by not integrating with multiple. And arguably, there's no good reason for later generation nests, arguably even any nest, to not be compatible now that you can do that through software. Uh, specifically, I'm talking about HomeKit compatibility. But that's just, again, that's just such a rivalry between those two companies. You wonder if you're going to see it or not. I hope we do. I hope we do. Yeah. So quick list, I'll run through some others. So my Moen shower, which I love dearly, and you know we were involved in, is not on Google Assistant yet. I know for a fact they have announced it, and it's coming. I think you mentioned in here, do you have the Delta faucet? I don't have it, but oh. I do want to get it. Okay. And that's one of the things that holds me back, because I really want to move to the new Delta faucet, but I'd like to also consider my options. And I'm considering that with Google Home being as good as it is, maybe I want to get rid of my Echoes, but I can't do that. So yeah, that's a limiting thing for me. And another thing in my house is TiVo. There's a skill to control TiVo through my Echoes, but there isn't one that would work with Google Home. So in my home, that's another limiting factor. Yeah, my other ones I listed. So I have a Ratio sprinkler system. That's not a super big one. I don't use voice a ton to control that, but as long as we're checking boxes. And then the other one, I have a Schlage Sense Lock, which does work with the Google Assistant. But the way that their Wi-Fi to Bluetooth device that allows you to talk to assistants works is you could either be in HomeKit mode or you can be in talk to the cloud mode to work with Amazon and Google. You can't be both at the same time. So I mm-hmm. want to be in HomeKit mode for that device. I like all my entry devices to be on HomeKit. And so that's not a, a use case I get to use. Yeah, that's understandable. Now, I have found, like I said, I, I think that the, the Google Home tech skills work very well. The Google Home is very good at understanding voice. I think they had voice differentiation before Amazon did, if I recall correctly. And they've they've really put a lot into making that better and better. It responds really quickly. Like I'm surprised how quickly it responds. And my Echoes definitely are not as quick to respond as my Google Home. What's your experience there? Very good at at understanding voice. And we'll see if I can edit this in here. But I have a almost two-year-old daughter. And it has picked up her like little, you know, toddler. And actually like responded. So that kind of blew me away. And she's definitely tried to talk to other devices because she's my daughter and they do not understand her or pick her up. So I think they definitely have to me that that was a pretty clear, you know, that they're doing some better voice processing than others are doing. And we forgot to talk about it in our segment on the home hub, but actually one, while we're talking about her, 
one of the key differentiators between that and the Amazon device is the ability to watch YouTube device, YouTube videos on it. The YouTube experience on the Echo show, I guess, used to be good, and then they started fighting. Uh, so it's totally trash now. It's not even usable. It's very good on the Home Hub, and that is like her number one go-to because she's not old enough to really have her own device or watch things herself. So she likes to watch YouTube videos, kids' songs, and stuff like that on the Home Hub. So our Home Hub has seen a lot of Baby Shark (laughs) in its time. I don't even have kids, and I know that song from parents (laughs) who decide that it needs to get into other parents' heads. Yeah. So now one of the things that you and I were talking about is just the the awkwardness of talking with these versus convenience and the trade-off between a really convenient and easy way of talking with something that might in fact make it problematic and difficult to talk about versus the very intentionally triggered wake words that we would use if we're using a Google Assistant. And having this discussion is going to be a little bit difficult (laughs) without actually doing it. We'll try not to wake anyone's devices. But you have to do that thing where you're saying, okay, or you're saying, hey, before you say Google. And those consonants and vowels packed together that way are kind of hard to say. Yeah, I really think this is probably... Google's weakest part of the whole assistant experience. And maybe they'll address it and give some more options for wake words in the future. But I feel like with Amazon, even though it has the problems where we can't talk about it and that becomes a whole mess, (laughs) I think in use, it's much more natural. The fact that it's kind of a name feels uh, just to the human brain feels more conversational uh, to me, at least. And I just feel like I'm talking to a robot when I'm saying, hey, and okay, G word. <laughs> it's it's just not very natural to me. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. I don't mind having to preface it. But it again, I think it is like you have the K before the G and that is really awkward and it is problematic. But I find it works, even if it doesn't hear my morning voice as well. Maybe that's why I'm having problems with those consonants. Now, they all also offer these additional voices now. I don't know if every, all of them do, but you can get John Legend on Google, and you can get a couple other characters, I think, on the Amazon devices now. Have you tried them? I haven't tried any of them. Okay, yeah. So we just implemented John Legend. Big John Legend fans. Actually, a first dance in my wedding was to a John Legend song. And so I was very interested once that went live to hear what that sounded like. And I guess it's better than the default, but it still sounds a little robotic. It sounds like robot John Legend. (laughs) So, well, it's like telephone operator John Legend, right? Because it's segments of words all presumably pasted together to make it sound like sentences. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely feels like it's headed in the right direction, but I'm not fully buying it yet. So we'll see if I if we keep that in place. But for right now, we're we're playing around with it. Yeah, that's understandable. Now, as we will in this show a lot... We always want to talk about 
what it's like as not just on the consumer side, but on the manufacturer side. And you've developed for this platform. You've had to build out for this platform. So I'm curious how you feel it compares to the others in terms of implementing for it and the capabilities that it has as opposed to maybe working with Amazon skills or anything else that, you know, you, and you've all, you've also worked with HomeKit, So you have good experience with all the top three. Yeah. I mean, I definitely maybe on a future show want to go in deep on kind of the differences between the three, but you know, for today, I'll at least say, you know, HomeKit is very much a firmware on device effort, whereas Amazon and Google are very much a cloud effort. And I think this has actually been a key reason why Amazon had so much success is because you, as long as you had a cloud connected product, you could go in and build a skill for an Echo device. And I think that's the model that Google saw and saw the you know, the ability to, for people to integrate with that easily and quickly without having to change their hardware or their firmware and basically bought into that model. Right before we did our integration for the Smart Outlet 2, Google put in a requirement for something called state reporting. And it's an interesting, interesting requirement. And I feel like it's moving towards something bigger. Basically, what this means is that anytime your device changes state, so in our case, uh, a smart plug, anytime the device goes on or off or anything else that can be controlled via voice, that gets reported back to Google. So I think why this is important, especially for the screen devices, is they always want to know what state that device is in. So if you're pulling it up in a visual interface they can then tweak it. I think where it has some potential is almost to be able to do more complex automations and some of the types of things that HomeKit can do that before these cloud-based things could not do because they didn't know the state of all the devices in any given time. So Amazon has a similar requirement that they've now implemented as well. And so it feels like those worlds are kind of starting to collide a little bit, but it, it's, it's, it was an interesting requirement that they added in. Yeah, I, I can see why that would be something that they would want. I mean, you don't want to bring up an interface and, for example, have a toggle button to turn something on and off, and it's in the wrong state. So you press a button and it doesn't do what you expect it to be doing, right? I mean, it needs to be the digital equivalency of what you're seeing on the physical device. So it sounds smart and it's probably much harder to implement than something like smart things, which is trying to talk locally to as much stuff as possible. Right. And I mean, the other kind of major... I guess, experience we've had, not necessarily for ourselves, but some of the companies that we work with, is we've worked with all three of these ecosystems, uh, HomeKit, Amazon, and Google now, to help them add new device categories or new types of devices. And what's involved in adding a new device to the ecosystem is very different in each of them. Under Apple, they control this. And usually, you know, what we see in each new release of iOS 
is some new device types and things like that. So last year, or like recently, we just got TVs and, and all the things a TV can do. So those are things that Apple defines, they control, and and you have to work with them to get that done. Amazon, for a long time, worked that way as well. You know, they had... And I remember early on talking to them and they were like, yeah, well, if you're a thermostat or you're a smart plug or you're a light bulb or like a, a fan, like a very limited set of devices, you know, then you could integrate with them in, in the smart home API. And I think what they realized was that was not very scalable and they couldn't always depend on them to add new device types and things like that. So they just recently came up with this model called electric primitives. And our customer Moen was actually very involved in this early on and worked very closely with them because building a shower to work with Amazon and Echo devices was, you know, complex and not something there really was a category for. So it actually ended up being a really good use case for them to build out how would somebody define these things? How would how would they do this? So uh, we'll share some things in the show notes. There's a nice developer blog post about this. And uh, I'll try to find also there was a reInvent talk where they basically walk through all the stuff on the Moen shower and how it works in this new Amazon primitives model. So then Google had an interesting approach to this as well. And I actually think was one that, you know, they an area where they clearly thought through this and wanted to improve upon the model that others had done. And so they almost have this kind of Lego like approach where they've defined out all the different characteristics and all the pieces, and you can assemble them into a device like a shower or, you know, any kind of new device to define that device and, and represent it in the Google assistant ecosystem. So it feels a lot more extensible. It obviously requires less work from them. As long as all the pieces are there, then you can put it together. And, uh, it's overall, I was very impressed with, with kind of the thought they had put behind it in general. Any final thoughts on the Google assistant wrapping up? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to have seen it evolve over the last couple of years and for them to really step it up, knowing that they were the underdog. And I don't think that that's going to be the case for very long. I think we're going to see them neck and neck. I think with the tools that they're making available to developers, we're going to see developers more readily jumping in and adopting it, particularly if they're building out models that are more aligned to the way that developers like to work. And it sounds like that's something that they're really taking into consideration. I think that for developers in companies who are trying to support multiple platforms to work efficiently, either some third party is going to need to come up with some abstraction layer that might help build across these platforms or these individual companies and maybe those who are the underdogs like like Google and, and perhaps like Microsoft has in fact done this, need to provide tools that make it easy to port what you've done on the other platform over to their capabilities and their platform and maybe shortcut that development effort for the folks who want to provide that support. Yeah, absolutely. It makes a ton of sense. 
Yeah, I mean, I think they've come a long way and I wouldn't count them out. And I, I think you raised some good points that Google's going to lean in on their strengths, which are going to be things like voice recognition, providing intelligence behind when you give a query. I think those are very strong things, you know, human voice interaction. So they're going to continue to lead in on that. And I think some of those things may ultimately, you know, help them, you know, catch up with Amazon in the near future. All right. So next, uh, we're going to move into our Q&A segment. So our first question comes from Jeffrey in Pittsburgh, who asked, will Philips Hue work with Leadvance bulbs or do I need to get a new Zigbee hub? And I have an answer that Jeffrey's probably not going to like. The answer is they used to, but they don't anymore. So about a year and a half ago, I think it was now, the Philips Hue Hub received an upgrade that essentially eliminated support with third-party bulbs. And it was intentional. They were having problems where customers had an inconsistent experience between controlling one of their bulbs side by side with a third party bulb, which might dim differently, it might have different color saturation, and their customers were frustrated and they were having to deal with the customer service side of that. And it's not really what they built the hub for. So they said at the time that they were going to come out with a compatibility program. I have yet to see that. I don't know of any third-party products that are, as of yet now, compatible with you. But what we can tell you is that there are other things that you could use the Leadvance bulbs with. Now, first of all, the Leadvance bulb story is complicated, right? Because they started out with the Leadvance Signify bulbs, I believe, and specifically... Those are the bulbs that I believe he's referencing because those were the Zigbee bulbs. And then when they came up with the Sylvania Smart Plus line, which was initially intended for the products that were working with HomeKit, they also expanded that line to include the old Zigbee stuff. And so now everything is considered Leadvance, Sylvania, Smart Plus, and some of it's Zigbee and some of it is Bluetooth. And you just kind of need to know which is which. We're talking about the Zigbee bulbs. They do work with SmartThings. So it, it is possible to pair one of these bulbs with the SmartThings hub. And I have tested this out myself. Now, you need to be really close to a SmartThings hub when you pair products with it. That's one of the things that is a little bit frustrating with SmartThings, pairing with third-party products. But if you get your bulb up near the hub, pair it, and then it'll work wherever you put it in the house as long as it's within you know, uh, a couple hops or within the theoretical distance, which I believe is 30 feet or something like that. You do need other devices around to make that stronger and, and make that distance more. So that does work and it allows you to control the color or the white balance or whatever. And the one thing that I would advise people about is that if you're going to pair it with anything, always go through the process of resetting the bulb before you try to pair it with something else. Because you never know if there's some straggling uh, connection on a smart bulb to some old system. So just Google reset 
and your name a bulb and you'll probably be able to find reset instructions. It's often a real pain in the neck. Like turn it on for four seconds, turn it off for four seconds. Do that seven times. Wait for the bulb to blink three times after 10 more seconds. I mean, seriously, I'm not kidding. That's pretty much what this one was. But it, it's worth giving it a try. And you might find that other hubs will also support it. We know that the the Amazon Echo Plus will also pair with CB devices. And I believe that there is a hub from Google that will also pair with Zigbee devices. Not the home hub, but that kind of weird vase-looking Wi-Fi hub that they came out with a couple years ago. You can pair devices to that. So you may not need to go and get a new hub if you have any of those products. Worth mentioning, too, I, I know you mentioned the Amazon Echo Plus, but from what I've seen, I think Amazon has been putting Zigbee in almost all the new Echoes. I was surprised to see that that show, too, has it in there. So not just that Plus, I mean, kind of look around and, and make nice. sure it has the compatibility. But I think a lot of the new ones do. Nice. Honestly, the Amazon platform that they built for the Echoes is a pretty good smart home platform. It is very powerful. It's cumbersome as anything to operate because, again, Amazon doesn't really build good software, but it's very, very powerful. Okay. Well, hopefully that answered Jeffrey's question. And I know that can be, I guess, a little frustrating when you lose compatibility for something that does work. But I, I guess from a from a company perspective, I can understand where Philips Hue is coming from. They want to have, provide a good experience. I'm sure they have some financial motivations also. Obviously, they would probably rather buy their bulb. But I think from a support perspective, that just sounds like a support nightmare, supporting a bunch of you know different you know, not tested devices. So it sounds like maybe there's a path to that in the future. And so if you have questions for us about your smart home or your smart home devices, you can send it our way with the hashtag AskSmartHomeShow. We'll look for that in Twitter and we'll pick from those questions and try and answer one here in each show. Okay. Richard, do you want to tell people where they can find you on the internet? Yeah, absolutely. So I am the editor over at the Digital Media Zone, and I host a show about DIY smart home tech over there called Home On. So you can find that over at thedigitalmediazone.com. And I'm also a consultant in the uh, product experience space. So reach out to me on Twitter if you're interested in consulting services there. And you can find me on Twitter at Adam Justice. And of course, I work for ConnectSense. You can find us at ConnectSense.com and also ConnectSense on Twitter. Thanks for joining us for this first new phase episode of the Smart Home Show. We look forward to carrying the torch and talking with you again shortly. Thanks.